A cup of tea, Mr. Corden? Uh, I'm all right. Oh, I don't, fine, okay. I don't, I don't drink tea, but thank you. This is. <laughs> We've invited you to a tea party and you don't drink tea. I, I, I wasn't aware mm. I'd been invited to a tea party. Heads will roll, heads will roll. Now, ladies and gentlemen, to misquote Lady Bracknell, to have one smash hit in a career would appear to be fortunate. But to have three smash hits in a career seems like per, per, pure swanking to me. But this is what's happened to James Corden. We all, of course, remember him creating the role in The History Boys, Alan Bennett's play, which he took to Broadway to enormous success, recreated on film. That would have been enough for most of us, I think. But then he and Ruth Jones get together. They co-create, co-write, and co-star in one of the most popular series of all times, a classic comedy, of course, Gavin and Stacey. Now, two is okay, isn't it? But, <laughs> but honestly, James, a third hit, which I think is the fastest-selling ticket in the National Theatre's history. I refer, of course, to One Man and Two Governors, in which Mr. Corden stars, dominates, and has a very good time and gives the rest of us an even better time as well. So, James, I mean, did you help an old gypsy lady across the road once? And did, she, <laughs> did she prophesy great luck in <clears> your future? No, I mean, they're all... All your choices, they're half chance, you know. They're all, it's, all, it's all half luck, you know. I, I, I've been in stuff that's shit as well, you know. <laughs> so it's not... I'm sorry, I just realised quite how young you are on the front. I won't... Don't say... That, that didn't happen. Uh, you know, I, that's, that's just... But it's not, it's not lost on me, you know, how fortunate I am to, to have been in... To, to have been involved in, in so many things which, which mean so much to so many people. It, it's, um, I, I never really think about it. And just hearing you say that then just makes me go, oh, God, actually, yeah, that's, 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 that's quite... I'd never thought of it like that. Mm -hmm. Because you don't, when you're in things, you don't really... It's hard to be objective about it, really. Uh, so, you know, the History Boys was... The, you know, the, the most wonderful time. But when, but when you're doing it, you don't really, the eight of us, you know, you don't really walk around going, wow, we're in this hit show. <laughs> you just sort of go, oh, I can't do this again, you know? <laughs> and, uh, what? Oh, I was in a film. Oh, yeah, all right, great. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're, we're, you know, that's not being ungrateful. It's just when those things happen, you, 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 you don't have the, the perspective, I guess. And so it's only now when I look back at it and go, oh, my God, that was the time of our lives. We, we were the luckiest guys in the world, you know? Um, so, I, yeah, I've, I've, there's no trick. There's, it's, it's, all, it's all luck. And, 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 you know, getting to work with good people. You mentioned if you're in a play written by Alan Bennett and it's directed by Nick Heitner, mm -hmm. you're halfway there. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, get to, if you get to sit down and sit in a room with someone as talented as Ruth Jones, you're three quarters of the way there. And then if you, if you get a given a gift of a part like I'm getting to play at the moment, with, you know, again, directed by, you know, a, a man who I, I, I think is without question the, the best theatre director in the world, then, mm -hmm. it's, you know, you're just lucky. <laughs> That's it. Because your envious colleagues in the profession would love to know if you have a secret or not, but you're saying it's, it's not, it's just, this happens that way. Yeah, I, yeah, there's no, so, you know, but I don't, I believe that that's the same for everybody. Mm -hmm. I don't, for anybody who's incredibly successful, I, I think, I think it would be incredibly arrogant to say otherwise, to say, oh yeah, well I masterminded this whole thing. Of course you didn't, you know. It's mm -hmm. like, you, you don't know, no one goes into anything thinking, 
oh, this is going to be really bad. You, you just mm. don't, you know. You, <laughs> you, no one does, do you know what I mean? It, and, um, so, when, so when you do, you, you, never, you never start on a road thinking, oh, I'm not sure about this. You, you know, you, you always think this is, it, it's going to be great, or you, you want it to be. And I guess if, I, if there was any trick or any secret, I would say that if I look at my career in like the last six, seven years, the points where I've worked the hardest, the luckier I've been. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the moments when I've perhaps not worked as hard or, or taken my eye off the ball somehow have been the stuff that haven't mm -hmm. connected with people. And, and I don't think that's a coincidence. So it's 1% kind of inspiration, 99% perspiration then. Yeah, I mean, I perspire a lot anyway. But so. <laughs> well, you've just written your autobiography, uh, James. Well, I haven't finished out. it yet. Oh. <laughs> well, you uh, will do much to the publisher's worry. <laughs> exactly. It's out on September 29th. I've still got another 10,000 words to write. But, uh, well, you're not normally short of words, so I'm sure you'll be fine. But I wondered if that had given you any perspective. You mentioned perspective just now. You kind of saw things that you hadn't realised in the heat of battle, as it were. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. I mean, not just it, it work. You know, I, I've been very, I've been very fortunate in the last sort of two and a half years that I, I've, I think I've, I've become a, a bit more settled. You know, I, I've met a wonderful girlfriend mm -hmm. who, you know, is has, has ridiculously agreed to become my wife, and mm. we've we've just had a son mm. and and. More than anything, that's, that's given me a sense of perspective. I, I, I felt, I'll be honest, I, 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 I think it's ridiculous that I'm writing an autobiography at the age of 32. Do you know what I mean? I, I, like, that's sheer, you know, but uh, having sat down to write it uh, since my son was born, I do feel like I'm perhaps about to start a new journey of which this play and him is the start of that, and I'm about to experience... An, have experiences that I can't even begin to comprehend, really, and perhaps it is quite a nice time to take stock of what was very much my old life, you know? So mm. it has been nice mm. writing it, but, uh, you know, who knows what it'll be. Now, like. you were telling me the other night that you, you were in the middle of a live broadcast and a call came from Nick Heitner about a year ago. <clears throat> well, yeah, we, 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 I wasn't live at the time, but we, I was doing a TV show called... Uh, World Cup Live, which was like a really fun <laughs> show where we just quite ridiculously ITV let us do like an hour of live telly <laughs> after football matches where we really just messed around. <laughs> Me and my mates, it was, uh, it, uh, which I'm sure was, I don't know, it was such fun. Um, <laughs> it was stupid, but mm. we um, and we, uh, yeah, we and 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 I loved I loved doing it and all all that stuff. When I've hosted things or presented things, I, I never really see it as work or, or what I do. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just see it as something that's fun. That's you know, that's genuinely how I how I kind of view it. I think, well, well, this would be great fun. Yeah, I'll do that. And and there was perhaps a little part of me while we were making that show last summer that that thought, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope I haven't gone too far down this road that these other avenues mm -hmm. would be closed, mm -hmm. you know? And literally at that moment, Nick called and said, uh, do you want to do a play at the National Theatre next year? And I said, are you going to direct it? And he said, yes. And then I said, yes. 
And he said, do you not want to know what it is? I said, I, I said honestly, I don't care. <laughs> Genuinely. I, I mean, I, and that was, that was the absolute truth. I, I, it, it couldn't have mattered less, really, because, you know, to get to work here with him, I, I feel like you, anyone that gets to do that is, is, probably, is one, one of a very lucky and fortunate and blessed group of actors. So, and then he said, well, look, I'm going to speak to Richard Bean and get him to do an adaptation of this, of this play, the, the Goldonia Servants of Two Masters. And, and uh, so I had a look at that, and then that was it, really. Yes. And, then, and then, you know, here we are, yeah. Because uh, Robert Lindsay, I don't know if you've read his autobiography, but he, <laughs> that's for inspiration, if you've still got 10,000 words to do. He, he sees himself as both actor and performer. In other words, he draws a distinction between the two roles. I mean, this is something that you would empathise with. Do you see, because as you say, that side of you that does fun, like the World Cup thing, like uh, your League of Their Own, all of that side of it as well. That you and you're very comfortable as you people who haven't seen One Man Two Governors will see that you're very comfortable talking to the audience directly, breaking through the fourth wall. So, is there other two kind of uh, performing instincts going on within you at once? Um, well, I guess. I mean, <clears throat> I so, yeah, I suppose. But I don't, you know... You I've, analyse I've, it too much. Yeah, I don't at all. I, I, I feel very... I feel very comfortable. Uh, I guess the difference is that there's a lot of actors who... There's, I think there's two types of actors. I think there's actors who pretend for quite a long time, that they don't enjoy being in the spotlight and they make out like it's an awful thing mm -hmm. and it's a cross they have to bear in which to, in which to give their mm -hmm. performance. Uh, li liars, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then there's other actors who, mm. who, who I think are a lot more open about the fact that, you know, like, I don't really see it as anything, you know... It's all I've ever wanted. It's all I've ever dreamt of, to, the, 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 the chance to, to be on a stage and to do different things, to do a, to do a variety of things. I think that's, that's where I understand, I think, what, what Robert Lindsay's saying is, is I couldn't think of anything worse of just, than just, you know, going from, you know, TV drama to mm. sitcom to... Touring play to try, I'm not, I can think of a lot of things worse, of course, but <laughs> like a billion. But um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think of it. I, I, I've, I've always, I've always wanted to, to be uh, front and centre, really, mm -hmm. and that's sort of what Gavin and Stacey was about, yeah. I think, because th when we did the History Boys, the play took off in such a manner. It was such a hit that um, every day, because there was eight young lads in that, you know, who, who are some of my best friends, some of them, and uh, we would come into work and they would all, everybody, every single boy would be coming in with, like, film scripts and TV scripts, you know. Dominic, every day, was like, oh, I've got to read these nine scripts. <laughs> and, um, and at that point, I'd already been lucky enough, I'd worked with Mike Lee and Shane Meadows, and, and uh, I'd done a big sort of series on ITV. And uh, there was a moment when myself, Russell Tovey and Andrew Knotts came in and we all 
were waiting for a script to arrive from our agents um, about it was a British film about two lads who went travelling in Thailand and they end up finding a dead body. It was like a, it was a really really good script, like a gritty kind of drama. And we were talking about it, going, "Oh, it sounds great!" And there's the two leads, there's two main guys, and then um, we all got the scripts and we were and uh, we realised there wasn't two guys, there was three guys. There was the two leads, and then there was the part that I was being asked to read for, which was like the news agent. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I remember thinking, oh, I, 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 you know, I thought, God, I, and I was really, it hit me, to be honest, mm. and I thought, God, well, okay, well, that, that's clearly how, that's clearly how people, that's clear, our industry, casting directors, or directors, View me. I'm 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 the big guy who drops off the telly in a Hugh Grant film. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or you know, or at best, I'm I'm like the guy's mate who's mm -hmm. quite funny. And, and 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 I thought, and I remember thinking, I always, I always hoped, or I guess I always had a, a belief or a self confidence. Some would call it arrogance that. That, that, I, that I could, that I had more to offer mm -hmm. than that. And, um, and then I was talking to Ruth Jones when we were shooting this series called Fat Friends on ITV, and I think we were both in a similar place. And, and that's how that came about, really. We kind of said, well, no one's just going to... It's, it's obvious to both of us that no one's just going to turn up and go, there you go, this is a lead mm -hmm. in a film, or here's a big lead in a play. You know, you're always going to be the, the guy, the other bloke. So, I mean, the irony is that we then went on a rotor TV show where we played <laughs> the friends. <laughs> <coughs> but we did work it round to making it more interesting. <laughs> right? no, but, uh, it was, um, and, that, and that's where that came about, really. And, and so, I've, I've, you know, I, I've called the book that we talked about, mm. is, is, I've, I've titled it, I couldn't think of what to call it for ages, and... Book publishers are weird people. I don't know if you've ever met them. They, 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 say, they, you know, they come up with titles like, why don't we call it Larger Than Life? <laughs> well, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> why don't we call it Big Time? Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> you know? And um, so, uh, so oh. I, I've called it, I've called it uh, May I Have Your Attention, Please? Mm -hmm. Because... I, th I think that's how I've always felt, you know. I mean, I, I was the first time I was aware of you, and, but you don't put it in your credits, so I don't know if I should mention it or not. But you were in the beautiful game, were you not? No, that's you why weren't. I, <laughs> well, maybe that's that's that's, I, that's why it's that's not, probably in, my not in your credits. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I can, I can tell you double. another list. <laughs> I can tell you another list of things that I wasn't in. Well, that's. <laughs> Or it might be better just to look at the credits. I would have gone to my grave convinced Why would I have taken I it off you. if Hollyoaks is on it? <laughs> true enough. Good point. But you were at Martin Guerre. That's a. That was true. my first job, yeah, yeah. exactly. That was my first job. I was 17. So, uh, yeah. am I right in thinking you went to a sort of state school? You were a, a yeah. sort of starstruck well, I was doing a, young lad. Well, I was doing a school play when I was 11. Mm. And uh, there was a girl who lived over the road from us who was like the, the, the kind of star at our school and she was always in like, you know, Findus 
adverts and stuff like that. And um, and uh, I did a I did a I did a poem at school uh, about ironically about a guy who's so hungry on the bus that he eats his bus ticket. <laughs> and it was called Nibble Nibble Munch Munch. And he ate his bus ticket, and when the conductor came around, he didn't have a ticket and got thrown off the bus. Um, so that was kind of the first thing I ever did on my own on a stage. Um, if anyone's coming to see the play tonight, you'll see me doing something very, very similar. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and Laura's mum said, look, so my dad, you know, and it's all I ever wanted to do. I, like, I don't remember a single time where I didn't want to perform. All right? There was no other. Mm -hmm. You know, there was never anything else. And uh, so I went along to this, like, a local stage school in High Wycombe uh, called the Jackie Palmer Stage School, where they've got an agency and you go for lessons after school. And they've had quite a good run in the last few years. I, there was myself, and then the year below me, or two years below me, was uh, Eddie Redmayne. You know, who's in red, who just won a Tony and is, is brilliant. And then a, like, a year below him was Aaron Johnson, the lad who's in uh, the Kick-Ass mm -hmm. film and Nowhere Boy. And uh, so I would just audition all the time throughout school. I would go to endless auditions and I would, I would more often than not, I, you know, I would always get sort of to the last two or three. They were like X Factor auditions where you'd, you'd audition for, like, you know, it'd be like The Sound of Music in Plymouth or mm -hmm. Sadler's Wells or wherever. And... and You'd start with 50 kids and there'd be like, you know, 10 for each part or whatever and it would get whittled down throughout the day and, and, and I would always be in sort of the last two or three and then would never get it and would always sort of, you know, go. And, uh, and, and I, look, I, I remember feeling quite dejected at the time, but I look back on it as I'm so grateful for that because the only difference between a professional actor and an amateur actor is rejection. That's it. What you're actually doing, getting on a stage, reading the words that someone else has written in a play, it's the same thing. There's no, there might be more impressive sets or costumes, but actually, at the core of it, it's the same thing. The only thing that separates a professional from an amateur is the fact that you get rejected all the mm -hmm. time, I think. And, uh, and I think that's quite a big hurdle to come across. So to learn that from like the age of 11 or 12, up until I got my first job at 17, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm very grateful for. And did you have sort of professional discipline already? That wasn't a problem for you. I'm not you, sure though. I've even got it now. <laughs> Still looking for it. Yeah. I mean, that, the whole business of being a professional, as, a, as you say, as a I mean, no, there's no business of being a professional. No. It's all, no one's a professional. They're mm -hmm. all, we're all just blagging. Everybody's blagging it. <laughs> even Al Pacino's sat somewhere going, mm. I don't know how I'm getting away with this, you know? <laughs> Every, like, that's mm. it. No one is. No one is. People, you look at people and go, oh, God, aren't they amazing? Mm. They don't know what they're doing. No one does. We're all just pretending and showing off. So how did you blag your way into the cast of the History Boys then? Um, well, I, I came to audition for the, for the play. Uh, I'd never done a play. I'd never even been in an amateur play. Mm. We always used to do like musicals at school and stuff. And I'd been in Martin Gare. I'd never done a play ever. And I was very aware that it was, that it was a hole on, on my CV. And, uh, I, came, and then I came, I came to, to audition here, and I, and I thought I was just coming to meet the then casting director, who was a brilliant casting director called Toby Whale, who actually went on to cast Gavin and Stacey um, once he, he left the National. And I thought I was just going to meet him, and I'd had the script 
and I, it was huge. It was like the densest script I've ever read, you know, and uh, I, got, you know, I, I didn't understand a huge amount of, of it, you know. I, I was like, uh, you know, because I've got like two GCSEs and I didn't, you know, I didn't really know who Auden was and stuff. So I was yeah. like, oh God. And then you turn a page and the teacher's feeling the boys up and you turn another page and a boyfriend's asking a teacher to... Don't worry. <laughs> and, um, Cover your ears. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 you, and I was like, oh, you know... I knew that there were, there were chunks of it I loved, and then other bits I would get confused. And So I thought I was just coming in to meet Toby yeah. to have a chat, and I did come in, and we had a chat, and I, of course, told him that I loved the script, and I'd understood it all, and I, <laughs> I thought it was profound and amazing. And, uh, and then he said, okay, should we go through? And I sort of went, go through where? And he said, come through to meet Nick and Alan. I was like, Oh, I don't remember that being, you know, part. So, and I did, he went in and, and there, were, there were sort of three parts that were defined, or four parts that were defined, Rudge, Dakin, Posner and Scripps. And then the other four boys were just written as kind of boy one, two, three, four and stuff. They weren't really defined. And, and, and I, if I'm being completely honest, I don't remember a huge amount about what happened in the room that day. I remember taking a deep breath before I went in, and I remember letting out a deep breath when I left. <laughs> but I don't actually remember, and, and I, don't, I, I genuinely don't really remember it. And then Alan wrote in his book, Untold Stories, he wrote that I, I walked in and took over <laughs> immediately, which I don't remember, but I can well believe. That's <laughs> uh, the ring of truth about it. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. um, and then, so I, and I just read the other boy parts. And I remember thinking it had gone quite well because Alan laughed. And I remember ringing my dad when I left. And dad saying, well, you know, if the worst, if you haven't got it, at least you've met Alan Bennett and made him laugh. And I was like, yeah, actually, that's, that's a good, that's a nice thing to have done. And, um, and then I was, I was on the train platform. I lived with my parents at the time in, in High Wycombe. I was on the train platform to go back. And the phone rang and it was my agent saying, You've been offered this job. And I, I had, there was two other things I might have been doing at the time. So you, you've got to come back in and we have a chat. And then they said, we'll offer you the part of Tim's. And I kind of looked at the script and had like four lines. And I was like, God. you know, so I was like, I want to work at the National Theatre. I want to be in Alan's new play. Mm. But four lines where one of them is, yes, sir. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? It's like, you know. And then and there was like a round robin of phone calls. And then eventually Alan called my agent's office, and I spoke to Alan on the phone, and Alan said, look, if you, if you, if you, if you say you'll do it, I'll, I'll, I'll make something, mm -hmm. I'll make this part for you, and I, and I promise I will give you something interesting. It won't be as big as these four, but I promise you, you'll have something fun to do, but you've got to take a leap of faith. And I just, <laughs> You know, when I stood up again, I just went, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so you leapt. I just said, yeah, absolutely, you know, God, and, and thank God, you know, mm. what, a, what a joy. I, 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 have to, I just look back on it with the, with the fondest memories. I mean, for you all, it was the most extraordinary adventure, I mean, I've said this to Richard Griffiths and Frankie de la Tour as well, but for you boys in particular, it must have been a real, I think, a sort of bonding that perhaps no other play has ever had because uh, you seemed to, you know, you shared that, that odyssey, didn't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I've never mm. known, 
I've never known a group like it, such a unique bond. And I'll tell you what it is, why well, I think the reason is, the eight, because there was eight of us in that place, similar age, all at a similar point in our careers where there is a, there is a real chance that that could become a competitive, nasty... And, and, and I know that in other casts that have done it mm -hmm. since, people have said, oh, well, we didn't really get on, those two didn't like these, do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And it was like, we were like one person in this building, that's how it felt. We felt sort of untouchable. No one could really mess with us, mm -hmm. really. And um, even like the teachers, even Frankie and Clive and Richard, it was it was kind of we we it, and we it, it was never thought out that way. It just happened that because we were so we got on so well that the eight of us would sit in one room between shows and play the guitar and you know play darts until they took the dartboard and. And then we play like indoor squash until they took like the <laughs> squash thing we'd made, and then, and uh, yeah, and it became a, a, a great time, and, and it, 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 yeah, it, it was, it was so incredible, and I think the reason is because there was no girls. I genuinely, no, no, I mean not, not in that way. I meant, I mean because there wasn't ever two lads. Flirting, yeah. competing for the attention of, of, mm. of, a, of a girl. We were mm. just... That, that wasn't there. And that, that is... If I look back on friendships when I was growing up, like I had a really great friend called Stuart Hay, and we were friends. We were the best of friends for three years. And then I kissed a girl that he really liked, and that was it. I've, I haven't spoken to him since. <laughs> you know... And I, and, I, and I genuinely mm. think that that's mm. part of the reason, mm. you know. Um, and they're such a supportive bunch. Do you still see each other? Do you yeah, still... Sam, Sam Barnett, who played Posner, was mm -hmm. here on uh, mm. Sunday. Uh, Dominic Cooper, I used to live with until a year and a half mm. ago, and now he's bought a flat, like, four doors up from mine. <laughs> so, so he's just got back from America today. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they're, you know, Sam and Jamie are in... The, the Haymarket, yeah. yeah, you know Russell Toe. It, it's mm. I don't. Mm. I, it was it, it was it was unique. Mm. And I think it's a it was a similar thing to what happened with another country. You know the Julian Mitchell play in the eighties. It was a big hit. Rupert Everett was in it originally. Ken Branagh was in it. Colin Firth was in it. Dan Dave Lewis was in it. That same kind of nursery, I think, you're the history Well, boys. I hope so. Well, quite. <laughs> <laughs> well, go I do on. worry for the guy who's Rupert Everett, but other than that. <laughs> Well, no. you know. No, sure, mm. but out of, the, out of all of them. <laughs> Maybe not. I'll Maybe take, no I'll take Firth or Day-Lewis. Okay, fine. <laughs> now, that, let's move forward to Gavin and Stacey. You mentioned Fat Friends, but yeah. I've always assumed that this was where you and Ruth got together and started to think about it. So yeah. what was the sort of earliest idea? Were you sort of sitting around the rehearsal room in Leeds well, or something? No, I, I, had a, I, was, I, was, I had a girlfriend who I was with for seven or eight years, um, whose family were from Barry Island in Wales. And I went to a wedding, and it was one of those weddings where we didn't really know them well enough to go to the wedding. We just went to the evening bit. <laughs> She's always a kick in the teeth, isn't it? And um, it was like, oh, I've got to buy you a present. I'm not even getting a meal. Um, <laughs> a buffet doesn't count as a meal. No. And, um, You're on a proper sit-down. Not sit on down. my watch. <laughs> um, and it, was so, and it was a wedding where I particularly didn't know many people, and Shelley, my, my girlfriend at the time, was catching up with friends and things like that. And um, 
it was a wedding where it had a, it was like, it was two rooms that you could make into one big room with like a partition that opened. And so where I was sat in the corner, it was sort of framed like a stage. And I remember it so vividly because the groom was from Runcorn and the bride was from Barry Island. And they're strange days weddings, especially ones like that, where two people are from so far <coughs> away that suddenly there's all these people in one room who don't know each other, might never see each other again, and yet they spend this kind of really long, quite intense day together where you politely shake hands at midday, and by midnight you're all doing the conga. <laughs> and, and I just remember thinking... I remember thinking at the time, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen... I've seen lots of weddings on the telly or in films, and I remember thinking that I'd never quite seen one that, that replicated any wedding I'd ever been to, where essentially nothing happens. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's no big drama, there's no fights, there's no big exposure, you know what I mean? It's, they just sort of... Most weddings just go without hitch. And yet within that, everything happens, and... Nothing's ordinary. It's all extraordinary. Actually, if you dissect it, these are two people who have made a commitment to each other to stand up in front of their loved ones and say, I love this person. I want to spend the rest of my life with them. And we'd love you to come and be part of that. And, and people would dismiss that as being just an ordinary wedding. And yet, I, would, I, I think that's probably the most extraordinary wedding. And nothing's ordinary. Not you or your little man there. It's all... Every single thing is, is special. And, and um, so I got talking to, and I, was, and I overheard these people speaking, and I, and I was sat here, and there were two guys stood, well, one was stood and one was sat. And the guy who was sat was quite drunk, and he was Welsh. And I remember it, I'll remember it forever, because it was a real spark in the thing where he was sat, and he said, he was talking to his mate, and he said, The thing with me is, I'm, I'm Mondale, man, you know? <laughs> That's what I am. And I don't care. I'm Mondale man, and I'm happy with that. He said, I'm not a Porsche. I'm never going to be a Mercedes. <laughs> right? But I'm, but I'm, and I, but I'm, not, a, I'm not a Fiat. <laughs> or a, or a, or a, and the other guy went, Daihatsu. <laughs> well, that sounds Welsh. He said, <laughs> I am what I am. I'm a Mondale man. You know, I'm better than a Volkswagen. And the other guy went, really? <laughs> and he went, yeah. I mean, I'm better than a Polo or a Golf. <laughs> and the guy went, the other guy went, but not a Passat. And he went, sure, <laughs> sure, yeah, not a Passat. <laughs> but I'm a Mondale man. That's what I am, and I'm happy with that. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, God, that's, that's as funny a thing as I, do you know, you know, and he was so serious. Mm -hmm. And I came back and... and the interesting thing is that we shot, we shot four series of Fat Friends, which was like, and they're like long shoots, three, four-month shoots. And Ruth Jones and I can only remember one time in all four series where it was just me and her in the bar. Because normally the whole cast would be there and people would come down and chat and have food and things. For some reason that we don't know, and I, I could be quite mystical about it, or perhaps it's just coincidence, but we were just sat in the bar, and I just happened to start telling her in the same way that I've just told you. 
And I said, I wonder if that could be a really interesting, like, one-hour, one-off TV special. And, because, and Ruth's from Cardiff, so she immediately understood who these people were. And we, for about two hours, we just started riffing on these things and talking about different stuff and the, who's the bridesmaid and who's the best man. And I said, oh, the best man would be like my, my cousin Lee's best mate who's called Smithy. He's like a plumber and he's like obsessed with friendship. And, and we just started talking in this way. And there was a works do, because it was near Christmas when we said, there's a works do on. And we would see these people who worked for this, what looked like quite a large company, coming up these stairs. And we'd go, oh, they'd be from Barry. <laughs> and, and, oh, they, they'd be, the, at the time we were saying, oh, they'd be the northern uh, element. You know, oh, they'd be, they'd be from Manchester. They'd be, and, um, and that was it. And the easiest thing in the world would have been just, I think the, 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 trick, or, or the trick of a good idea is one that stays with you when you wake up a week later. Like, you have ideas all the time that you think are really good. And inevitably, you, a week later, you go, what was I thinking? That was an awful idea. And, and, uh, and yet it stuck, and, and that was it. We wrote a treatment for this one-off, one-hour thing where we said it would be loosely improvised, it would be the royal family meets Marion and Jeff sort of thing. That's what we kind of sold it as. And... But for us to work out who was there, we wrote our own backstory, which we were never intending to put in with the treatment when we sent it to commissioners. And at the very last minute, like we were literally about to lick the envelope, Ruth went, I wonder if we should put this backstory in, you know. So just, just so they'll read our treatment, and then they can read that if they want to. Just give it more flavour. And I sort of said, okay, cool, yeah. We've, I mean, we've written it. It was like eight pages long. So we put that in with the backstory of how these two people met, which was based on my friend Gavin, met his wife, his now wife, who they've got a kid, up on the phone at work. And, and we kind of put that in, and then we said, and here's where our story begins. And we sent it in, and, and a couple of people said no. Mm -hmm. ITV didn't really like it. And, or they liked it, but they didn't think it was commercially viable. And, and then Stuart Murphy, who was the controller of BBC Three at the time, uh, just emailed back and said, I, I don't think this is a one-off. I think this is a series. Mm -hmm. I think you've got all this whole story mapped out. And why are you ignoring it? And he said, and he actually put in his email, forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn. You know, but I really think this could be a series. And, and then he put at the bottom a PS, which meant the world to Ruth and I, and says a lot about him and his vision. Because we've looked at that treatment since, and it isn't that good, honestly. It's, it's really, there's like swearing in it and... And stuff like that. And, uh, and he put, P.S., if you decide to do this, I think it could be one of the best things BBC Three ever made. Prophetic um, words. Yeah. And that was it. Mm -hmm. Then we wrote it, and we finished writing it in New York while I was doing the play, and, you know, slowly it came out, and, yeah. Had either of you written before? Uh, Ruth had written an episode of Fat Friends, that mm -hmm. series, actually. Right, that was the... Yeah, but that was yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Toby Whale just now. I think one of the great pleasures of uh, Gavin and Stacey was the quality of the actors you got. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons for that was that because every character had something of interest for uh, actors to play with and to develop. And that's what was so impressive, I think, about it, is that you had a dozen, so even dear Margaret John, God rest her, yeah. next-door next neighbour Doris, you know, yeah. she would have a little 
little uh, sort of ray, a little bit of moment for her. Well, I think I th that's very kind of you to say that. And I, th I, think, I think perhaps the reason for that is because Ruth and I are actors and we, mm. we knew that this wasn't going to be a show with a big budget. You know, this was a BBC Three show that was going to stretch budgets. And we knew that no one was, you know, we knew we wrote that part for Alison Stebbin mm. and we wrote that part for Rob Brydon. And we, and we sort of sent it to them saying, look, we've written this for you but we completely understand if you don't want to do it, and please don't feel pressured just because we're friends. And, and uh, we... Um, <laughs> but, you know, we probably won't talk to you again. You know, <laughs> and, no, and, uh, and... But we knew... I think we, we, un, we, we recognised in ourselves that actually, actually at the core, we, uh, as, a, as an actor, what, what you want are parts that you can have some fun with. Mm. And, and we knew that, that for any actor, and I believe it of any actor in the world, that is a greater lure than any financial reward or anything is to go, if you read something, there's no greater feeling than when you read something and go, God, I could do something with this. Mm -hmm. This is a gift. Oh, this is a joy. I want to do this. And it's a different thing when you're on the phone to your agent going, I don't, I don't care what it is. I just want to, mm -hmm. this is, I, don't, I can't bear the thought of anyone else doing mm -hmm. this. And, well, one of the other th strands I thought was so interesting was that the relationship between Smithy and Gavin seemed to me to be a kind of heterosexual male love affair that I'd never seen really dealt with on television before, that these two young men care for each other so deeply, kind of short of actually having, presumably, I mean, unless I've missed a, an episode or two. <laughs> actually, no, it was never consummated. No, but, quite. Uh, well, no, but, but, that's, 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 but that's true of most... I mean, you say that, that you've never seen it, although I think, if, I think there are shards of it in um, Friends between uh, Joey and Chandler. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of... Uh, and, but I, but we, we, most people love their friends. And most people love their families. And that's all we wanted to do, was make a show that seemed... that was like that, really. Mo most people love being around their friends, and if they don't, they're not their friends, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and there's an odd thing in, in sitcoms, particularly, where things will happen. Friends is a good example, actually, where, like, Chandler's character, for example, will say, will say a really funny line, and none of the other characters laugh. You hear this audience laugh behind the camera, but they don't laugh, and you think, well, that was really funny. So we always wanted our show to, to not feel like, or, or to be kind of a victim-free comedy, if you mm. like. The jokes were all, they were all enjoying, they loved each other, and that's what we wanted to come across. From Gavin and Stacey's very intense love at the start, to Gavin and Smithy's love of friendships, to these families who love their kids and love their partner, you know, Alison Stebbins' character and Larry Lamb's character loved each other and had this very kind of vibrant, sometimes interesting sex life. And, uh, you know, Nessa was like a surrogate daughter to Gwen. We wanted it to feel warm and feel loving and, and not... and without, without enforced complication. Mm. But you did very successfully, was it three series you did? We or? did three series and a Christmas and a special, Christmas yeah. special, And then you decided that that was it. I mean, that must have been a really brave decision to take. Um, if, I've got to be honest, it felt like the most natural thing in the world. Mm -hmm. we, we just... 
it's a lot, it's a big commitment doing that show. Mm. Like for Ruth and I, it's probably 10 months from sitting down with the idea to writing it, shooting it, being in the edit and it coming out. It's probably nine or ten months of the year, really, where you can't really do anything else. And so you've got to really have a solid story. And, and what we didn't want the show to, to do was ever become anything other to, than what I just said it was. You mm. know, we'd, the thought of opening it out and starting to see Mick at work or trying to crowbar in reasons as to why... These families every week are travelling up and down the M4. We never wanted it to feel like it wasn't happening, mm -hmm. um, and I th and I think that was that was the the key really. And I, I would be distraught. I would be as I, I would be as upset as even that show's greatest fan if we didn't revisit it at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but it would never be a series. No. So we might have a one-off special. In I some think, time in the future. I think just because of the very nature of those characters, mm -hmm. they lend themselves to Christmas or Easter. <laughs> Easter. Do you know what I mean? They mm. do, because those are times where you don't have to look for artificial reasons to bring those people together. So, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's having the time to do it right mm -hmm. is the key. I suppose it's no bad thing to leave the audience wanting more as well, rather than... Out, outlast your welcome in their people's living rooms. Sure, I mean, but then, I, you know, Seinfeld is one of the greatest sitcoms that's ever made, and I think they made over, over 200 episodes. Mm -hmm. So I don't sort of buy into this thing of, oh, Fawlty Towers yes. and The Office. And I don't feel like we're making any grand gesture mm -hmm. because I do believe that quality can be sustained over a large peri period of time, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the TV show Peep Show, and I think their best series, my favourite series of that show is mm. Series 6. So, I, I, there's no big thing to it. It was just, it felt like a nice place to leave Natural it. Natural ending. Yeah. Great. Anyway, let's have some lights up, please, so that I can have a look at our packed and excited audience, because I want to get questions from you all. And there's a hand up at the end there, so, yes, please, let's have your question. <laughs> uh, I should tell you, did you ever hear that? Uh, the lady wondered whether Alan Bennett was in the wings waiting to return the favour. Alan did a, did a reading of his book the other day here on this stage and I sat in the wings and listened to it and at one point, it, very much as we have done now, he threw the question over and he said, can I have someone from the wings to help me in case I can't hear the question? and there was no one else there. <laughs> Genuinely. And I think the audience thought it was something that we'd set up. Because as I came on, they sort of went, ha, oh. And it wasn't. There was just no one else there. And so I came on and just, yeah. Now, is it, Alan told me that you'd wanted him to make a cameo appearance in Gavin and Stacey. Yeah, is this he true? he didn't do it, the bastard. <laughs> we wanted him to play a lover of Doris's. <laughs> And he said no. Yeah, we wanted him to play uh, uh, the character who's obsessed with Doris, but she, she's, he, he's always saying, oh, do you need a lift or anything? And Doris says, oh, God, you needy man, come on. 
we had our time and it was fun, but let it be, you know. I got, <laughs> I got other irons in the fire. And he, and, uh, and he very kindly called back and said, like, I, you know, he said, I, 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 yeah, he, he just said he, he, didn't want, he didn't want it. Yeah, you know, I think he worried that it, it might become Alan Bennett in our show, mm -hmm. you know, which it would. And, yes. <laughs> and, we, and we were fine with that. Uh, well, maybe yeah. a future special. I'll never stop it. asking him. Now, in the second row here. I'm not. I've never done it. <laughs> oh, yeah, good question. Have I ever considered doing stand-up comedy? Oh, well... I've thought, I've, listen, I've thought about it, and I've done little five, ten-minute bits here and there at, at charity galas or things like that, but the, the truth is, stand-up comedy, I think, is, is, a, is an absolute gift, an art that has to be perfected. And it's very easy, I think, I think anyone can be funny for five or ten minutes. All of you, truly. It's... You pick your best three stories that you tell your mates and you put them together in some five, ten minutes, that's not comedy. An hour, hour and a half, you know, Cosby, uh, Seinfeld, you know, what Stuart Lee does, or what Michael McIntyre does, working an audience, making a show, forming it, having it, uh, peaks and troughs to it so that it ends in a right way. That's something which, which I think you only get by not doing anything else and going, I'm just going to do this for two years. Uh, you'll, anyone who's seen the show will have seen a, a, a phenomenally talented guy in our show called Daniel Rigby, who plays Alan. And, uh, I mean, you, you couldn't wish... Uh, he's I mean, yeah, like, even just me saying his name makes you laugh. He's exceptionally talented. Uh, anyone who saw the um, Morecambe and Wise, Wise, BBC Four, that he played Eric Morecambe and just won a BAFTA, he's... Phenomenal. He does stand-up comedy, and he's done kind of shows in, in Edinburgh that are, you know, an hour long. And I, I think you can, only, you can only get to that by, by getting out there every night, testing material, night after night, playing small venues, small venues. And, and, and I, I, I don't... A, I don't know if I'm good enough to do that. And... And B, it, it would be a big commitment to do that. So I don't know is the answer, but I'm very touched that you thought that you would think that I might be able to. How about some questions from the circle? Yes, the hand up there, second row. Yes, has, does the high profile you now enjoy, has that surprised you or are you comfortable with it or what's your attitude to it? Um, I, I, I'll tell you, what happened, right, was at the very moment that Gavin and Stacey went back, like, switched from cult TV show that people liked to actual hit that people... Do you know what I mean? I am... Um, about, about six, seven weeks before that, I, I became single pretty much for the first time in my adult life. I... I I had a, I had a really, uh, a re had a really incredible, brilliant, long relationship with a girl, and, and we, and we broke up uh, shortly after the, the sort of history boys, sort of and all things like that. And um, that's a, it's a, it's a bad, it's an unhealthy, and potent mix, to be s s 
for the first time, single, because I met her when I was 18, to be single and a little bit famous. <laughs> and, uh, and so if I stayed in, I would, be, I would get really sad and, and be quite upset. And if I went out, people went, ah, oh, you're amazing. And that can mess with your head, really. So, but then also I was well, it's so intoxicating, that thing, that first flush of fame, celebrity, whatever it is, I found it, personally. The guy who was the bloke getting the script to play the news agent found it really intoxicating to just be suddenly, oh, and you know, there's two, you can act two ways. You can respond in two ways when people are, are telling you you're amazing. You can either take it with a bag of salt or you can start to think that you're perhaps a bit more of a dude than you really are. <laughs> and, and I absolutely followed the latter for a bit. I did. I did. I believed it all. God, people saying, yeah, he's the hottest this, that, whatever. You know, I was like, you know, I was like, it was an odd thing to be like, on the, on the Guardian media power list. I was like the youngest person on the power list. And also like number seven in Heat magazines, people that girls want to get into bed with, you know? <laughs> and you, you just go, oh, man. And, 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 and all of those things happened and contributed to, to quite a, a roller coaster of two years, really, where... The highs were incredibly high, and the lows were real shocking lows. And uh, so right now, where I feel I am right now, to like host the Brits, and then come and do a play at the National Theatre, and then I'll go and do this panel show, and then we'll finish this, and I've written a new show for BBC Two. I feel a lot more in control of it, because I feel a lot more in control of just my life in general. But, and someone, would I change it? Probably not. Because <laughs> you know what? At moments there, it was the most fun you'll ever have. <laughs> and, and I think I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be who I am now if I hadn't done those things. Well, on that note, I'm afraid we've got to end okay. this marvellous session, James. Now, I was going to compliment you on your wonderful performance in the beautiful game. And if you had been in it, it would probably have run for much longer. Sure. But James... I was good in it. James, <laughs> you've given us all an enormous amount of pleasure over the years. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, let's thank Mr James Corden. Okay.